Okay, uh, it's now 12 o'clock, so good afternoon to you all. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you this afternoon, we just pray that you'll help us to have ears that will hear and hearts which are receptive to your word. For truly you are a great and mighty God. And you deserve all honour and praise. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, as we come to the end of uh, 2009, as we begin 2010, uh, as you read the newspapers, if you look at the stock exchange, if you look at the property market in Singapore, you'll think that everything is going really well. But the reality is, I think when you speak to many people, uh, well, most people that I've spoken to anyway, people are feeling really tired. Right? People are feeling very weary, stressed out and burnt out. And I think that for many people, that transfers into their spiritual walk. Right, in their spiritual walk, in their walk with Christ, they too may feel a great weariness, a great lethargy, right, a great tiredness. And I know from experience what that feels like. I remember when I first became a Christian, every sermon was like living water to my thirst. Every Bible study was like light and darkness. And every church camp was like heaven. But after working for one year as an auditor, uh, you know, I felt really dry, and I guess auditing does that to you. <laughs> right, you know, one year of late nights and looking at all these little numbers, I felt really dry as a Christian. I remember going to church began to feel like a burden, you know, and the Bible study was something that, you know, you just went through the motions to go, and I didn't feel like praying or reading the Bible. Now, I wonder whether you feel like that as you begin the new year, whether for you, your walk with Christ is something that's become a burden, something that's just weary. Now, I think that as we look at Malachi today, it provides for us an antidote, a solution to that weariness and lethargy that we may feel as Christians. Now, as we come to the book of Malachi, uh, it's just up here on the slide, Malachi comes at the period of about a hundred years after the Jews had returned from exile. So, they were returned under the Medo-Persians about 538 BC, and Malachi, we estimate, was written about 438 BC. So, for a hundred years... Uh, they had relative peace and stability uh, back in Israel. Houses were rebuilt, the temple was reconstructed, the wall was put back in place. So outwardly, everything seemed to be going pretty well. If they had a Jerusalem stock exchange, it was probably going up. Right? <laughs> the real estate market in Jerusalem was probably not too bad. And I think that what was happening here was that outwardly things were going very well, but spiritually, their relationship with God was actually going quite poorly. And we can see that right at the very beginning of the book of Malachi. So in verse 1 and 2, look at what it says here in the Bible. Verse 1, An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Now here we note in the book of Malachi, it's a very interesting beginning because it doesn't tell us much about Malachi at all. Where does Malachi come from? How was he commissioned? How was he appointed as God? What was his role? We don't know any of these things. God just goes straight to the point and he says in verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. And it's a very interesting introduction because it is not a love letter from a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or a boyfriend, but it's, it's from the Lord. If you look at verse 2, the Lord there is in capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
And here is actually a translation of the word Yahweh. Yahweh. And Yahweh literally means, comes from the verb of the Hebrew to be. Right? And that's the name of God. Because in Exodus chapter 3, if you look up here, Moses had asked God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or I will be who I will be. This is what you have to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And this word I am or to be is the word the Lord. that is translated to the Lord. Because in verse 2 of chapter 6, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the to be. Or I am the am. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So, the word here, the Lord or Yahweh, is actually the name that God used when He made the covenant with Israel when they left uh, Egypt out on Mount Sinai. Uh, This is the name that God used when He gave them the Ten Commandments, when He brought them to the Promised Land through the Red Sea. So if you look up here on this slide, it's the name that is associated with all the great acts of God when God actually dealt with Israel from the time of Moses. So really, when they knew of the name Yahweh of the Lord, they didn't need for God to tell them that He loved them. Because all the great acts associated with Yahweh of the Lord would have told them that He really loved them. Because He brought them to the Promised Land, He freed them from slavery, He brought them to the Red Sea, He gave them the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon. So they should have known that God loved them. But if you look there in verse 2, they were asking, How have you loved us? How have you loved us? Now I'm not sure that uh, many of you remember this song by Janet Jackson. You know, Janet Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson had a, has a sister called Janet Jackson and she used to be a rock singer or she is still a rock singer. But in the 80s she was much bigger, right? But some of you weren't born then. Right? But anyway, in the 80s she sang this song, What have you done for me lately? Right, what have you done for me, for me lately? And he tells of her boyfriend, whom she's been with for a while, and he says to her, I love, you know, you love me. But then she replies, what have you done for me lately? And I think that's what we see here in this passage. God's people were saying to God, what have you done for us lately? Because instead of associating Yahweh the Lord with love, Right, they were associating Yahweh with all the old things that God had done. You know, Yahweh had shown us His glory, yes. But that was in the days of Moses. That was in the days of King David. That was in the days of King Solomon. But what have you done for us lately? Because in that 100 years since they had come back from exile, what had God done for them? The temple was just a shadow of the great temple of Solomon. Yes, They had built the wall, but they were still ruled by foreigners. Where was this great kingdom that God had promised them? See, what had God done for them lately? Well, how does God reply? Does God promise them bigger and better presents? You know, like Christmas time every year, you know, to prove your love to your children, you've got to buy them bigger and more expensive presents? Is that what God does? No, He doesn't, right? In verse 2 onwards, He actually brings them back 
and shows them how they truly haven't treasured His love. So come with me back to verse 2 again, at the last part of verse 2. This is what he says. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Now what is happening here is that we need to understand the history of Israel. right? And if you look up here on this slide, okay, this is the history of Israel. And the history of Israel, for those of you who are not familiar with the Old Testament, begins really with Abraham. Because Abraham was given a promise by God that he would be a blessing to the whole world and that he would have a land of his own. And then the promises went from Abraham to Isaac. But here is where the crucial time begins, isn't it? Because Isaac has two children. He has Esau and he has Jacob. And Esau is the older one of the twins. They're both twins, okay? But the older one is Esau. So really, according to the culture of that day, who should have received the inheritance? Who should have received the promises of God? It should have been Esau, isn't it? Because he is the older, the older son. But God chose to give the promises to the younger twin, to Jacob. And what God is trying to say here is, look, He says that very powerfully, right, in verse 2, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And what He's trying to show is, the love that was given to Israel was an undeserved love. It was a love which was given because of grace and compassion, not because Israel deserved God's love. See, what God is trying to say here, He's not trying to give a theological explanation of divine sovereignty, or predestination, or sovereign will, he's trying to tell Israel that the love that she received was an undeserved love. See, the love of God is, is quite misunderstood, right? It's not like, you know, the love songs that we hear on Goal 90 FM, or, you know, Class 95, where it's a, it's a romantic love between two equal people who are romantically atta- attracted to one another. No? You see, what God's love is about is God and His grace and His compassion showing love to people who don't deserve it, who are unlovable. And that's God's point. He's trying to say to Israel, do you know that the love that you had was not deserved? That you should treasure, that you should really embrace this love that I have shown you in the past. And I think that as Christians today, We too are loved by God. We are loved by God the moment that He chose us to be saved in Jesus. See, look at what it says up here on the slides. Okay, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, You did not choose me, He says to the disciples, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Look at what it says there in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Again, for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Or 2 Thessalonians, and we ought to always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Do you know that you are chosen by God and loved by God? Do you take the love of God for granted? See, why are you here today? You're not here today because you're smarter, better looking, right? Uh, that you made the right choice? No, because God chose you. God loved you enough to bring you into His kingdom and into a relationship with Him. See, I think one of the problems is we feel weary and tired and lethargic because we don't realize how much God has loved us in saving us. We take it for granted that somehow we are very lovable in ourselves and we deserve to be part of God's family. But what God is saying in Malachi is no. He has chosen to love out of His free will even though we don't deserve it. See, I think that's one of the problems, isn't it? of the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, no, how do you know God loves you? You know God loves you because He keeps showing love to you. Because you get a better job or a nicer car. Or if you don't have a car, then you get a car. Right? But then if you, if you have a car, then you'll get a nicer car. If you have a house, right, then you get a better house. And that's how you know that God loves you. But that's not what Jesus says. I'm sorry, that's not what God says. God says, I have loved you. The moment you come into a relationship with Him, he has shown His love to you. Just a few weeks ago, uh, I learned about how someone who was quite instrumental in my Christian life, his wife uh, has uh, contracted cancer and they have four small children. Now, does that mean that God doesn't love them? No. God still loves them because He has shown His love to them in the past by bringing them into salvation and relationship with Jesus. God has loved us and we should treasure that love. But do we treasure that love? From the bottom of our heart, do we really know that God has loved us by saving us? Now, I, I've been watching this uh, TV show on television called Locked Up Abroad. Any of you have seen it? It's on National Geographic. Anyway, I really like it. But every, every week, I can tell you every week, it's got the same story. Right? Every week it's got the same story. It will be the same last week, same this week, same next week, same until the end of the show. Every week is about how a Westerner from you know Australia, Britain, America, they will go to a, a third world country and they will try to smuggle drugs either in or out of that country. Right, so they go to India, Indonesia, Venezuela, Brazil, Thailand, Mexico, and they always try to smuggle drugs and they will always get caught. And then they will be sent to a terrible prison, right? People will be murdered, people will be assaulted, they will be face injustice, they'll face wrongful things done to them, they will eat cockroaches. Okay? And then the end of the, the one hour, the, the, the people will go free. Either they bribe their way out, they escape, the, the, the charge is reduced, they'll be repatriated back to their own country. And at the end of each hour, they'll always have an interview with the, the real person. And this person will always have tears in their eyes and say how much they love freedom. So last week, this British woman said, you know how much she just loves walking in the park. 
without hearing the, the prison door slam behind her. There was a man from Los Angeles who said, you could pay me a hundred million dollars and I wouldn't give up five minutes of my freedom. There was a man from Australia who said, once you've lost your freedom, you've never take freedom for granted again. And I think that's a lesson for us, isn't it? A parable for us. Do we take God's love for granted? Do we take it for granted that we are saved? That somehow God has done us a favor, you know, in bringing us into a relationship with Him. I remember talking to this relative and inviting him to church at Christmas. And he was sort of saying, you know, I'm sort of doing God a favor in coming to church on Christmas, you know. God owes me one, you know, because I spent my valuable time coming to listen to, to, to what God is saying to me over Christmas. You know, God should be grateful to me for spending my valuable time to come to church. But if you look at Malachi, isn't it different? Isn't God the one doing him a favor by giving him an opportunity to come to know about salvation and come into a relationship with Him? No, it's, it's God's love, isn't it? God is the one who's offered Him this free relationship. God is the one who loves. So, as we come to 2010, do you really know God's love for you? I have loved you, God says. Do you know that love that God has shown you? Now, if that's the first problem that the Jews, God's people, point, failed to grasp the greatness of God's love for them. Then the second problem is that they failed to recognize His honor, His power, and His authority. Look at what it says there in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect you me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. Now, interestingly enough, notice here, God does not say, I've shown you love, so show me love, right? Now, He doesn't say that, does He? He says, I've shown you love, but I want you to show me honor and respect. So, show me the honor and respect due as a father or as a master. See, he speaks here in verse, uh, verse seven, 6 particularly to the priest, isn't it? It is you, O priest, who show contempt to my name. But it's not just the priest. The priests represent the people. The priests embody the attitude of the people. And the reality is that we must always show authority, uh, respect and honor to those who are more powerful than we are, isn't it? That's, that's, that's what life is. I mean, if you're a student, you will treat uh, your teacher differently than you will uh, your classmates, right? Is that true? <laughs> I must ask the teachers, I must ask the teachers among us, right? I mean, obviously if uh, you know the doorbell rings and you go to the doorbell and you see it's a door-to-door salesman, you will treat that person very differently than if the, the policeman was at the doorbell, isn't it? Uh, you know, you treat your colleagues differently to how you treat your boss. But what, what's happening here is that God is saying that, they, that His people don't treat Him with respect. They don't give Him the proper recognition and honor. In verse 7 to 10, look at what happens. You see, look at what it says here in verse, uh, in verse 8 anyway. It says, You bring blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? You sacrifice crippled or diseased animals. Is that not wrong? 
Try offering them to your governor. Uh, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you look up here on uh, Leviticus, uh, the Old Testament is very clear that God deserves only the best, the best in sacrifices. So he says up here, to, he says, tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate to me, so that they will not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. Verse 20, do not bring anything with a defect. It will not be accepted on your behalf. Verse 22, do not offer the Lord the blind, the injured or the maimed or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as an offering made to the Lord by fire. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who makes you holy. See, if you give a holy God your second best, he's saying, you're actually polluting and contaminating God's name. You're not giving God what is due. But you don't need the Old Testament to tell you that, isn't it? It's common sense. Now imagine, uh, you invite into your house for dinner one day, the Prime Minister of Singapore, or say, the Minister or Mentor, uh, Lee Kuan Yew to your house, or maybe just your boss, lah. Okay, and your boss comes, or you know, the Prime Minister of Singapore comes, and he says, Oh, yeah, yeah, come over for dinner, look, look, have a seat. And then, you know, you open your fridge. He says, oh, What should I give uh, to the Prime Minister of Singapore or your boss? Okay, here's some expired milk. <laughs> right. Maybe, right? Maybe he will, he will like it, right? And then here, oh, yes, okay, there's some half eaten pizza from last night. Let's, let's see whether I can microwave that up. Or maybe, you know, there's some uh, chakwe tia I didn't finish. You know, maybe I can mix it up with some, uh, some day-old eggs or something that I have for breakfast. But at the same time, right, for yourself, while well, well, you're serving up all these leftovers to uh, your, your very important guests, at the same time for yourself, oh, you know, you get this, the best Wagyu beef. And you fry it up for yourself. And then you get the best vegetables from cold storage. And the best ice cream from Hagen Dust. And there you are eating it in front of uh, the Prime Minister or your boss, who's eating all these leftover garbage. <laughs> and that's what God is saying is happening here, isn't it? These people, instead of giving God the best, they are keeping the best for themselves and giving God the leftovers. And God is saying, would you do that to your boss? Would you try doing that to your governor? Would they accept it? And God says, no, he won't accept it. And I think that for ourselves, it's a very important principle, isn't it, as well? Because... We no longer have sacrifices. I mean, we don't kill goats and sheep here at church. We don't have the temple. We no longer have the rituals of the Old Testament. But I wonder whether we give our leftovers to God. Right? Do we, do we give to God the, the leftovers of our time, of our energies? Right? So I remember talking to people again over November, December, and people say, oh, you know, I don't go to church very regularly. Uh, maybe if I have time, Right, if, 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 it doesn't, if it's not an inconvenience to me, I will go to church. I don't read the Bible very often, but you know, after I've read the newspaper and watched all the television, uh, maybe then I'll read the Bible. I don't pray very often to God, but you know, the night before the exam, yeah, I'll pray. But the rest of the time, no, I, I won't worry about praying to God, because I've got better things to do. Now, does that really honor God? Does it really give respect to God? See, I think part of our problem is we think of our relationship to God very much in terms of the times that we live in, isn't it? We always think of loving God. 
I said, we'll sing songs about deeper into love with you. I want to love you more. I, I, want, I just want to love you, Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We should love God. But God is not our buddy. God is not, you know, a friend as in He's my equal, right? I mean, I know I like singing the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. But that's more of a reflection of the intimacy we have with God. But God is not an, our equal ourselves. God is much greater than we are. So in our relationship with God, we must treat God with honor and respect. See, I remember a pastor was telling this illustration. Imagine the thickness of this paper. You see this paper is not very thick. Imagine the thickness of this paper represented the distance from the earth to the sun. Okay, so imagine this, the thickness of this paper represents distance from the earth to the sun. Using that as a scale, the equivalent distance from the earth to the nearest star would be these pieces of paper, 20 meters high. Right? So imagine three times my height. Actually, more than three times, not two meters, but three times my height, right? Oh, no, it's more than that, yeah. Ten times my height. Ten times my height. And the distance of the whole galaxy would this be, be this piece of paper 500 kilometers high. Now imagine how big our galaxy, our galaxy really is. And how small we are as part of that galaxy. Now, if we are here as Christians, we would all say amen that God made this galaxy, right? We would all say amen to that. We would say, yes, God made this galaxy. God sustains this galaxy. So if God is that big, then how can we not show Him honor and respect with our lives? How can we give our boss more honor and respect than that God? How can we give our friends more honor and respect than that God? How can we give our hobbies, our, our, our friends, more respect than that God? Well, that's what's happening here, isn't it? They weren't showing Him honor and respect. And in verse 12 and 13, look at what it says in verse 12 and 13. It wasn't just giving leftovers, which was the problem. Look at verse 12 and 13. It was the character of their relationship with God. And in verse 12, this is what it says. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled. And of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it, you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. See, the problem here was that for them, their relationship with God was a burden. It was something that they sniffed at, something that they looked down upon. You know, it's not something that they look forward to, but there's something that they did because they had to do. Now, I wonder whether we, we, we feel that way about God. I sometimes wonder whether we feel that way about relating to God as the same way we do at Chinese New Year. Okay? You know, Chinese New Year, okay, for those of you who are not familiar, right, uh, you're meant to visit all your relatives, right? All uh, the older relatives. And now some of them, you don't really want to visit at all. Right? You want to get in, and there, get in there and get out as fast as possible. right? You just get in there, get all your angpaos out. Okay, thanks everybody. Exchange your oranges and then you disappear. Right? Because you really don't want to spend much, too much time with this, these people. And once a year is enough. Right? Now, I wonder whether we feel that way about God. Right? Do we just want to... You know, it's a burden. It's a burden to read the Bible. It's a burden to pray. It's a burden to fellowship other people. We just do it because, you know, 
We have to do it. I wonder whether that's the way we feel about our relationship with God. Because God goes on to say in verse 10, in verse 14, that He is not happy when He's not treated with the honor and respect that He requires. He's not happy when people do not value the love that He has shown them. So look what it says there in verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you will not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Verse 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. See, God says that if you go to Him with a, whole, not a, with a half-hearted attitude, giving leftovers and seeing the relationship with Him as a burden, then God is not pleased. And He says, cursed is the person who comes to Him in that way. Now, it's a really interesting thing in verse 14. He says, it's like cheating. When you don't give God honor and respect, you're like cheating Him of what is rightly His. Now, it's the same thing, isn't it? Imagine your boss at work tells you that we've got this really important project that we have to do. And it's due tomorrow. And, uh, you know, your boss comes around later today and he comes to your, your office cubicle. And what are you doing? You're updating your Facebook. Right? Oh, you know, maybe you're surfing for the latest story on Tiger Woods. Oh, you know, you're on the phone telling your, talking to your friends about your, you know, what your, your plans are. Well, then you say you're cheating your boss or cheating your company of what is rightfully theirs, isn't it? And that's what God is saying here. The person who fails to give honor and respect to God is cheating God. Is cheating God of what is rightfully His. Now, as we begin 2010, it's a good time to reflect on ourselves, isn't it? Do we really treasure the love that has been shown to us when God saved us? Do we really treat God with the honor and respect that He deserves as the creator, sustainer of the world who's brought us into a relationship with Him? Because if we do, then our life will not be filled with, I guess, tiredness, lethargy. You know, but rather, we will want to read His Word. We will want to pray to God. We will want to come in fellowship with one another. We must not fool ourselves that somehow we can meander through our Christian life and give God our leftovers and second best and somehow God will be happy with that because we wouldn't be happy with that. We cannot be spending all our time getting excited about our holiday plans and our hobbies but not excited about God and think that, well, God is going to be happy with me. What God really wants is for us to truly honor and respect Him as who He truly is and to treasure the love that He has shown us in choosing us to be part of His family. In conclusion, uh, remember Joshua Ng? He preached to us about two weeks ago. He was at our church camp as well. And uh, he, uh, he was talk- I was talking to him and he, was, he preaches at various churches, church camps. And he was invited to preach at a church camp where there were more than 1,000 members. More than 1,000 members. A very big church. 
So he went to the church camp expecting it to be a really big church camp. But when he got there, there were less than 200 people. So he asked, what happened? Where are all the people? And people, and he said, well, you know, a lot of people couldn't make it, you know, because there are other plans, they're very busy, you know, they, 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 you know, they've done this before, they, you know, so they didn't turn up. I talked to another uh, pastor who was trying to get a Bible study uh, groups started in his church, and again, this church is more than 1,000 members. And he was complaining to me that only less than 200 people signed up for Bible study in his church. I said, what happened? He said, well, you know, even the elders and the deacons said, oh, you know, we know enough of the Bible already, right? You know, we used to, you know, yeah, we know the Bible, we, we, you know, it's okay, we don't need to know more about the Bible and Bible study, we, we, we know, we, we, sermon is enough for us. I know of another church, again, more than 1,000 members, where they don't have, they've given up having monthly prayer meetings because they can't get enough people to pray once a month. Imagine that more than 1,000 members and you can't even get enough people to pray once a month. Now I wonder when God looks down from heaven at uh, these people, the members of the church, so-called, I wonder whether these people really appreciate the love that God has shown them in saving them. I wonder whether God sees them as truly honouring Him and respecting Him for who He is. I think that if we look at ourselves, both as a church and individually, we should ask ourselves, do we really treasure God's love when He saved us in Christ? Do we really honour God with respect and see Him as an almighty creator, sustainer God and treat Him for who He really is? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, Help us to truly treasure the love that you've shown us when you saved us in Jesus. Help us to see that it's such a great, merciful and compassionate gift on your part. That the love that you've shown us is totally undeserved. That it's only out of your grace that we are saved. Help us to really value that love and to treasure it and not take it for granted. Dear Father, at the same time, we really pray that you help us to expand our mind to see just how great a God and mighty a God you are. That we should tremble before you. That we should give our lives, the first of our lives before you and not the leftovers. That we should see fellowship with you and other people, other people in your kingdom as one of great joy and not as a burden. And dear Father, We pray that you may help us through the Holy Spirit to see you as you really are and to love you and to honour and respect you as we should. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.